The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then he's down to Hada. And then Kampen there. in the Hada. Miedema. Miedema van de Donk is mee. Miedema! Goal, 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 goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euros Edition. Coming up, it's Belgique Magique in Manchester. Whilst it was VAR, VAR and yet more VAR for France and Iceland. And the Lionesses get quarter-final ready. It's Kate Borsay here alongside Lindsay Hooper and with us back for more from the Athletic, it's the tactically-minded Michael Cox. How are you? Very well, thank you. A little bit hot, but uh, yeah, enjoyed those... uh... (laughs) Well, I was on uh, Belgium uh, against Italy tonight and thought it was a pretty good game, especially in the second half. Yeah, me too. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And uh, if you're listening to this, I hope you're currently dealing with the heat, however, wherever you're doing it. And making his tournament debut with us and hoping for as good a start as Melvin Mallard, it's freelance football writer Rich Laverty. Rich, I can't believe we haven't spoken to you already. I know, I've been waiting, but you've left me till <laughs> till, till last, so... Um... I'll take that. <laughs> You're on now. That's what matters. Yeah, Rich, it's lovely to have you join us. Well, the group stages are over and we know what our final eight teams are. England, France, Germany, Spain, Netherlands, Sweden, Austria and Belgium. Quick straw poll. Who have you enjoyed watching the most? And let's also ask you what your game of the tournament has been so far. Michael Cox, you first. Oh, there's two very big questions I have to answer Mm. very suddenly. Um, Who have I enjoyed watching the most? I think it probably is England. I know it's an inevitable answer, but the the game against Norway was just absolutely sensational. Um, So, yeah, I I think England have been fantastic. And the game that I've enjoyed the most so far, um, this is going to be a bit of an outside shout because we haven't yet had a nil-nil, but this is the closest a game has been to a nil-nil. But I was at uh, Denmark, Spain, and I just thought the tension was great because it was, you know, a winner-takes-all kind of game. And uh, Denmark, I think, had more chances than Spain in that game. And Spain only ended up scoring when Denmark kind of threw caution to the wind and tried to get a winner. So, yeah, it wasn't the most end-to-end game, but I thought the intensity and the kind of meaning of that game, which was obviously the last one uh, in probably the highest quality group, that's probably the one I remember the most. And Rich, how about yours? I think for me, yeah, I mean, England have been great to watch. I've enjoyed watching Germany. I very much enjoyed France in the first game at the very least. I think that was probably the best sort of individual team performance, the way they they took apart Italy in that first half. I think the reason I enjoyed it was it was not just a good game. It was one of those that probably wasn't on the radar, but it was actually the Switzerland-Portugal game um, near the start of the the tournament. Switzerland went 2-0 up very quickly. Portugal came back to 2-2 and, and it was very end-to-end. Both teams had a real go and it was actually just a really enjoyable game. So, yeah, probably that and then maybe Spain-Germany. I just enjoyed watching Spain try and sort of break Germany down and, and Germany was so resilient. But, yeah, probably Switzerland-Portugal. And as an overall, we've seen uh, some really good quality in this tournament so far, markedly so, actually, when you compare it to the last Euros. Uh, It continues. But for now, let's digest both of this evening's games. It's Chancellor of the Live! And it's Tina De That is a huge moment for Belgium! 
Well, we start with a match in Manchester where Italy and Belgium knew that a win would most likely be enough to get them through to the quarterfinals. And despite Italy's multiple chances, all 20 of them, it was Belgium who took theirs. Michael, I know you were across this one. Belgium now, it's the first time that the side are through to the quarterfinals of uh, a European Championship. So great news for them. They were rightly celebrating tonight. What did you think of the game overall, though? It was a funny game. I thought it was one of the few games I've seen in this tournament where I was kind of frustrated at the lack of technical quality and the lack of combination play in the final third. I thought Belgium were quite impressive in terms of how fluid they were, but they just weren't really working the ball forward into real prime goal scoring positions. But I think overall on the balance of play, I know Italy had a couple of chances. They hit the woodwork and I came very close to getting an equaliser, but I kind of felt Belgium deserved it. They just seemed to have maximised the talent that they've got in this squad more than Italy, who it must be said, I mean, finishing bottom of the group, you have to say have been probably the biggest disappointments of this tournament, even more so than the Norway, who obviously crashed out earlier than we expected. But there's in none of the three games have I really been impressed by Italy and, and kind of in different ways as well. I mean, obviously, defensively in the first game, they were pretty dreadful. But the uh, the next two games, just lack of ideas with the ball, kind of quite dependent on individuals. Um, yeah, they've been quite underwhelming. So um, I'm pleased to see Belgium go through. There haven't been too many shocks in this competition. I suppose only them and Austria are kind of unexpected qualifiers to the quarterfinals. But yeah, I think they deserve it. Uh, Girelli and uh, Bonansea both left on the bench against Iceland and they started in this one. And I think part of the problem for Italy has been that the personnel's changed with every game. Um, I also wondered, you know, particularly in the first half, how much nerves and the heat were playing their part in Manchester. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the heat's got to be an issue. I mean, the the temperature flashed up on the screen, I think, in the first uh, drinks break, and it was 34 degrees, I think, which is just incredible for an 8pm <laughs> kickoff. Mm. I mean, the, the games yesterday were 5pm. Thank, thank God we didn't have any today that was 5pm because I'm not sure they the would have been playable really. But yeah, it was quite a slow burning game in the first half. And yeah, the conditions probably had something to do with that. Yeah, they sort of cancelled each other out, I thought. Barbara Bonansea uh, with the best of the chances, really. Um, she really was good as well, I thought. But it took Belgium to score in the second half. And that was a goal from Tina De Cagny on 49 minutes. Really good left-footed strike. Drilled the ball low into the corner from the edge of the penalty area to put Belgium ahead. They hadn't really come into the game in an attacking sense. Tessa, Tessa Woodard was great the whole way through, I thought, but I thought Italy were definitely the better attacking side. That is their strong point, of course, up until Belgium scored. Um, and then the game came alive. We saw a, a bit more metal from both sides, didn't we? Yeah, I think Italy did actually. I mean, I know the Belgium goal came in, in the second half, but I thought Italy did improve for the second half. Bonfettini, I thought, had a, had a good impact down the left. But yeah, it was it, it did feel like a game where the, the first goal would win it because neither side were really that full of attacking ideas. And I think once one team got their noses in front and were able to just sit back and park the bus a bit. Um, yeah, like I say, Italy had a couple of decent chances, hit the bar from, from range through Girelli, a couple of other chances from tight angles. But yeah, overall, I think not just on this game, but just in terms of how they played against uh, the other sides in the group, I think Belgium deserved to go through. Yeah, little mistakes from Italy, a lack of accuracy. Um, Rich, do weigh in here. What are your thoughts on where Italy have gone wrong? Not not just in this game, but really their approach to the tournament. Yeah, I was really surprised, to be honest. They came into the tournament 
playing quite well. They've always been quite organised. I know that's quite stereotypical for, for Italy, but they have. And they've got a good coach. They've got good players. And there was a lot of optimism. Like There was a lot of people tipping them to maybe even win the group, you know, because France, France are France, you know, they, they can self-implode. But, yeah, I mean, to finish bottom of the group, but I think if they'd not qualified, I think even then people maybe expected Iceland, you know, to be the ones that, that got through because Iceland actually have quite a good team. They got some exciting young players. They did actually go unbeaten through the tournament. They were a little bit unlucky, but yeah, it's a strange one with Italy. I think I just don't think they ever really. They just didn't seem to recover from that first game when they got so torn apart. You know, they were five nil down at half time, and I don't know. It, it just seemed to derail them. Um, I didn't see their second game, but for the players they've got and the coach that they've got. Maybe it's a little bit back to the drawing board because they actually do quite well at the World Cup. What happens now to the team in terms of post-tournament debrief? Do they take action? Do they need to address anything in particular? How much, how much of a big story will this be over there, and will that will that lead to any changes? I'm not sure. It's tough because there's only a year now until the World Cup. So for those teams that have not had great tournaments, there isn't really. You know, if you want to change your manager or rip your squad up you haven't got a long time to do it you know you have you know realistically until you're really into the preparation phase for the next tournament probably nine ten months so I don't think there'll be major changes I mean the game is going more professional over there now we've seen Juventus AC Milan Inter Milan Roma Napoli etc all come into it maybe it's just a case of did we put too much expectation on them? I don't know. Was it just a perfect storm? Things went wrong. I think they've certainly got good players. But yeah, I mean, there isn't a big turnaround time. No, and the game has been pretty developed for a while over there. They certainly haven't just turned professional. There's been some big players in the game for more than a few seasons. Moving on to Belgium as well. Um, I don't know. I may have bought into Kiva O'Neill's article and the goalkeeping <laughs> mastery of Everard, but <laughs> she was good again tonight, Lynn. Yes. So every time I flicked over, she was making a save. I kid you not. Every time um, I was thinking, oh, let's just go and see what's happening in the other match. There she was producing a save. So was, but was, that was it more that about much? Italy's assault of chance? I mean, I mean, Italy, there was, there was just an assault of corners, wasn't there, towards the end of the game? And that was. That was probably more about the fact that Italy were had to had to absolutely go for it in the final 10, 15 minutes. So if that's the case, is she up there as one of the best goalkeepers so far? Because we've spoken about the teams that we've liked the most and the game that we've liked the most. But Rich, is she one of the best between the sticks? Yeah, I think there's three that off the top of my head probably stand out in this tournament so far. Her... Mel Fromes for Germany, I think she was excellent in the Spain game, made a couple of great saves. And then obviously Daphne van Domselaar as well for the Netherlands, who came in, you know, when Van Veenendaal got injured. I mean, she was unbelievable. First game coming on, you know, it was only her second cap. I watched the game yesterday and she was excellent. She made some unbelievable saves. I'd probably, if I had to say goalkeeper of the tournament so far, I'd probably say van Domselaar, but you're right on, on Belgium. I think, you know, she's been huge and... I saw a couple of the little highlights tonight, some of the saves she made, and, and I saw their first game as well. And yeah, it's nice. You know, we, we, we always say in tournaments, don't we? There's players that kind of we, we build up to the tournament and talk about the stars. And then there's that couple of players that kind of come from not nowhere, obviously, but, you know, that we don't really talk about. And they have a great tournament. And, you know, she's a big reason as why Belgium are going through. 
And for you, Michael, who who stood out? Yeah, Van Domsler. I think um, the way she came in in that first game, you know, for the Netherlands to to lose the captain, the player who I think was a goalkeeper of the tournament five years ago when they won it. Um, she's been excellent, not just with the sh- uh, shot stopping, but I think with the... Uh, uh, the way she's dealt with crosses as well. I think in general at this tournament, the, the shot stopping has been pretty good. A few goalkeepers have come unstuck when they've had to deal with crosses. I think that was particularly the case for, for Portugal yesterday. But yeah, she's been good in both respects. And what do you think Belgium's biggest threat is going to be moving forward now? I mean, I, I quite like the movement. I, I like the way that they link play. I think um, the way Vulak comes deep. I think she's a good player. I must say, I, I Back Sweden quite heavily for that quarterfinal. I don't think I think Sweden <laughs> yeah. have fired in all cylinders. Tough. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just Belgium to me they, they just lack a bit of technical quality throughout the side. It's not really about you know tactically or it's not that they're not bold enough. I, I just don't think they quite have the players to um, mm. to progress much further. But we'll wait and see. You need kind of several Tessa Willerts in that side. Really, she was getting around all over the different thirds and you just you just wanted one of her in every third really and sorry keys the belgian defender got player of the match rich uh she said i couldn't believe it when they told me i'm still young and it's my first euro i'm super proud who jumps out to you uh for belgium and how do they approach the sweden game yeah there's been a couple to be fair and there was a couple of young players i looked at before the tournament as well particularly in in attack, um, Hannah Erlings is one. I think the teenager, one of their sort of exciting young players. You mentioned Tessa Willard. I thought, you know, again, the bits I saw tonight, she was very, very good. She's their leader. She's their star player. Team Dekani, obviously, you know, scored the goal. You know, she plays for Hoffenheim in Germany. She's a very, very good player. But yeah, it's against Sweden. It's probably going to be more about their defence. And and like Michael said, I just. I can't see a way in which Sweden don't get through because they are solid at the back. They should be able to deal with Belgium's threat and they should have enough up the other end of the pitch to to, to see it through. There was some news came out today. They postponed a press conference because they had a couple of COVID cases. We haven't seen any names or anything like that yet. So, well, maybe that will have an effect. I really hope COVID doesn't really start affecting the knockout um, stages now and we don't have outbreaks in teams, but, you know, Thing that that's the real world, things like that can have an effect. But if all's well and and the sort of first 11 is there, like Michael said, I can only see really Sweden going through. Mm. We're hoping that Kate's prediction on the COVID front doesn't come <laughs> true. Yves Seniles, the Belgium coach, let's end on this because what a quote from him at the end. It's a historic night for Belgium's women's football. I've had a lot of good moments in my career, but this is definitely up there. It might be the best moment yet. It has been a long time in the making. I've been with the Belgium women's national team for 11 years now, so I'm ecstatic that we're going to the quarterfinals. And the quarterfinals is where we'll see them next. Uh, but we'll turn our attention now to the final group game of the tournament. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Over in Rotherham, it was goals in the first and last minute with France already through. It was a matter of what Iceland could do. But in the end, it didn't matter with Belgium's goal. There was a case of a couple of disallowed goals in between as well. Uh, Rich, you were keeping across this one. Um, what did you make of all the controversy, first of all? Yeah, it was um, it was an interesting ending. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't hugely sure what the penalty was given for. I mean, I... It seemed to be a foul by Saab. I don't think it was intentional. I think 
someone just ran across it. There was a lot of players in a, a tight area. I think the disallowed goals were fair. My lad was, was offside for the first one. The second one, I hate it. I hate that law. I hate that if it just hits your arm, whether it's intentional or not, I mean, she could do nothing about it. She hasn't stuck her arm out, but that's the law. So it was probably rightfully disallowed. Yeah, I mean, the penalty, it was strange, obviously, because it didn't mean anything. But I suppose if you think it's a foul, you have to give it. And then obviously, yeah, it was full time straight away. So you, you sort of think, well, what was kind of the point of, you know, taking five minutes over it? But yeah, I mean, the referee probably got the decisions right at the end of the day. And that's what the VAR is for. And your game was long finished, Michael and Kate, because you were obviously watching the other one. So mm. you'd have been able to turn over to see that penalty. I did turn it over and wonder what on earth was going on because it was just, <laughs> it was, you know, someone lying on the floor, stretching their leg out with cramp. There was lots of running over to screens. I couldn't work out what was going on. And then the game was over. It seemed, it did seem a bit ridiculous from I don't from think Jonathan Pierce could either for a while. Let's talk about Brynjars de Tears penalty because, okay, there was nothing riding on it. But wow, I thought that was a brilliant penalty to kick. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to save that. It was almost a little bit the sort of George Stanway school of, of penalty taking that we've seen with England hitting as hard as you can and aim for the top corner. And, you know, it, it was maybe... If it was to win it, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> a bit more pressure. But yeah, I mean, she's a very, very experienced player. And yeah, I mean, you are not going to any goalkeeper in the tournament's not going to save that. Was there any part of the celebrations that we saw from Iceland after that? Because we knew there wasn't going to be another goal. But was it because they remained unbeaten? They are the first side in women's Euro history now to go out in the group stages, having not lost a match. Possibly. It's a... Uh... Suppose it's a bit of a bittersweet one to celebrate, but I think maybe I don't know whether how aware they were or how aware the fans were of what was going on in the other game. Maybe they thought they still had a chance, you know, in so much chaos, was there going to be, you know, another couple of minutes added on? And I think you could see it. I think you saw it in, in Brynjas Dottier's face, you know, when she realized the referee had blown for full touch, she'd run off back to the 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 halfway line with the ball and, and the referee blew for full time and, and you could see the disappointment. So, yeah, look, they did well. They, they went unbeaten. They missed chances. But I, I think I think we'll see a lot more of Iceland because a lot of their players are young and they're exciting and I think we'll see them in, in tournaments to come. I think we'll see them in the knockout stages. I do hope so because I love the fans. I love that they stay behind and do the, the big clap together. <laughs> We need we, a video. Can we have that, that again? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, 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 that's also me trying to cool myself down at the same time. Uh, can I ask about France? One of my favourite teams to watch. Uh, six changes for this game, Lynn. Yeah. I mean, Melvin Mallard is going to be uh, someone that we talk about for a long time to come. And I know Sandy Baltimore was very good as well. Just give me your assessment of the attack tonight for France. The big talking point being, of course, they need to uh, get on and progress in this tournament without Katoto. Yeah, and, and Mallard, I thought, was brilliant. And of course, everyone will point to pace because she is super quick. But I actually thought it was her reading of the game and her movement. I thought, and I, and I know that, Rich, you've, you've watched a lot of her as well. But she, what she manages to do is drag other players away which creates gaps for everybody else. Now, she did end up popping up and being in the right position at the right time too. But I thought all of that work that she does, all the runs, the reading and football intelligence that you need, she's got that from a really early age. So she's only going to grow. And she's the sort of player as well that I think is a confidence player. I mean, I think most most tournament players are. But as soon as she got that goal, she looked even better, I thought. 
What about you, Rich? What did you make of France? Is it is it fair to say that particularly after their second and third games tonight, fair to say that they're not infallible, that they're perhaps not the tournament threat that we might have envisaged them being after game one? Yeah, they've been a little bit of a strange one. Uh, I, I certainly think losing Katoto is a is a blow, and it's not just a blow for them; it's a blow for the tournament. You know, she's one of the best. I want to say best young players. She's one of the best players outright in the world, and and same with Alexia. You never want to lose your best players from the tournament, but yeah, I mean, maybe they were just so good. You know, that first forty five minutes, maybe we we expected a little bit too much. At the end of the day, they they've well, I'm going to say they won all their games, but obviously, you know, the hundred and first minute they've conceded a, a soft penalty but they never looked sort of massively troubled I mean they've got a very good defense you know obviously with Renard, Tunkara and Bocca's options at centre-back their full-backs are great I've really liked the midfield actually that was kind of one of my question marks but I think Mateo's done very very well Gayoro, you know has been a, a huge attacking threat and then yeah they've got depth you know yeah they've lost Katoto but they've been able to bring in a great player like Mallard they have Diani they have Baltimore you know, they've got really good options and, yeah, maybe it's just not clicked, but I'm not ruling them out. You know, I, I think they'll beat the Netherlands. I really do. I know they have this whole quarterfinal thing and the curse and everything like that, but I do think they'll beat the Netherlands and, you know, then it's probably Germany in the semi-final, which, which is going to be a bit tougher. But, yeah, I think there's more to come. I think if they find it, there's another level still. Mark Parsons was at this game watching for Netherlands. Um, what do you think about the prospect for Netherlands against France, Michael? Um, I'd fancy France quite strongly, actually. I think um, especially down the flanks, they're so strong. We saw in that game against Italy in particular, they've just got so much pace, so much trickery, good movement with the fullbacks coming forward. And I'm just not sure the Netherlands will be able to deal with that. Um, they've had some injuries in defence I think in a couple of positions they have looked a little bit weak so yeah it's tough to judge the Netherlands because obviously they had the opening game against uh, Sweden and the two since they haven't had their best player who hopefully will be back for uh, the quarter final and of course Miedemar can can kind of win a game on her own but um, yeah I'd, I'd think France would be quite strong favourites to that for that one Anything for you to add to that Rich? Yeah I think it'll be tough Again, a little bit like France they've not really click to any point obviously if Miedemar is back it will be big but I think Mark Parsons has some interesting decisions to make because you know Jill Rhodes been okay Lika Martins has had a really quiet tournament and some of the younger players came on in the last game and it's a little bit different you know when you're coming on fresh in the last 10 minutes and the game is stretched but you know that they had a big impact and you know some of their key key forwards haven't really performed I actually texted him during the game actually saying why are you wearing a France shirt because I was absolutely <laughs> convinced he had a France shirt on and he said he was just trying to blend in so um <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's got his hands full like I've spoke to him a couple of times during the tournament and like they've just had challenge after challenge like with with obviously losing players to injury in the first game and and COVID cases to key players mm. and they have looked sluggish as well Rich yeah sometimes that just brings a team together you know and, and mm -hmm. they fought through you know yesterday to be fair and they've got good options you know the, the players that came on were really exciting young players and they had an impact so I think it'd be a really good game actually like I wouldn't I would never rule the Netherlands out of it. Well let's give the final word on this one to Iceland um, they did manage to end France's 16 match winning run 
So we've got Iceland's um, head coach, uh, Torstein Halderson, who said, I'm proud of my team. I can't say more. We put in a lot of effort in and tried to win and wanted to. We played a strong team. So our quarterfinals are looking like this. England versus Spain on Wednesday in Brighton. Germany versus Austria on Thursday in Brentford. I've renamed that the Battle of the Lederhosen. Uh, Sweden versus Belgium on Friday at Lee Sports Village. And Netherlands versus France on Saturday in Rotherham. And we'll discuss the first of those next. England returned to the scene of the crime in Brighton. And that crime, of course, was tearing apart Norway 8-0. Can we expect a similar scoreline against Spain for this one? Is that too much wishful thinking, Michael Cox? You've done a whole article around this. I must admit, I've halved the deficit. I'm thinking 4-0, but am I being too confident? (laughs) Wow. I think England can, uh, can score goals against Spain. I really do. For me, the most promising avenue... He's getting the ball to Lauren Hemp because she's caused um, on a batch of serious problems in the three Manchester derbies they played uh, the season just gone because they played in the FA Cup as well as obviously two in the league. And yeah, it's been it's been all about Beth Mead so far, hasn't it? But I think Hemp's obviously a slightly different type of player and a more direct player, I would say. And I think in this game where you know Spain probably will dominate the ball, certainly have more of the ball than any of England's opponents have so far, I think there'll probably be a bit more cause for counter-attacking, a bit more opportunity for counter-attacking. And yeah, I just think getting the ball to Lauren Hemp could be uh, could be really important here. I think of all the four games, it's probably the closest to call. But I must say, on, on, the, on the way they've played so far, I think England go into this game as much stronger favourites than you would have expected, what, two weeks ago. I agree. I, I don't know whether I'll go with the four nil scoreline though, Hoops. I think I'll <laughs> think I'll pay Spain a little bit more respect than that. Uh, Kira Walsh, I think she's been again incredibly strong for England, Michael. She needs to play her part in this as well. Uh, in your piece, uh, you write that Bon Matty is a particular concern or, or will be a particular concern uh, for England. Just explain. Yeah, I think she's been really good so far. Spain haven't quite clicked in the attacking third. I think that's obvious, but she's been the only player who's played in the... Oh, sorry, of the midfielders and attackers, she's been the only one who's played in the same position every game so far. And I think without uh, Puteas, Spain have tried three different players in her role, none of whom have really made it work. And it's Bonmati who's kind of been forced to play a little bit higher up the pitch, maybe try a little bit more between the lines on the edge of the box, just trying to make things happen, which I don't think is quite her natural game. I think she prefers to be a little bit deeper with Puteas, obviously, between the lines. But yeah, for me, she's the kind of player who can... She can just dictate the game. I think probably as well as any player in this tournament, you know, in that midfield role, she can just dominate the game, put Spain in charge. And the only thing I worry about with England is almost them being tired by Spain's possession, because I think that Spain can just retain the ball for so long. And while they don't quite have... The, the cohesion in the attacking third that we might have expected, if they do have 60-70% of possession, mistakes can creep in. So um, that's that's the worry for me, the midfield zone. But I think in terms of the two attacks, I think England is just looking so much more potent mm. than Spain. Well, Kira Walsh has been talking today about Serena Wiegmann and she said, for me personally, it's not about your ability, it's your mindset. Serena definitely takes the pressure off in that sense. Yeah, and I know that Rich and I were also privy 
to some lines from Kira. I thought it was really interesting because her dad clearly bought her up on Spanish football, Rich. And uh, she made reference to that in, in, ahead of facing Spain and, and how she's watched those players. You can imagine as well, just by watching Kira, you know, you can imagine her loving David Silva, for instance, because that's the sort of player that she is. She likes that those small passes, forward passes, but also making herself available at every opportunity um, and, and just making those little angles for everyone. It's just so delicate, but just so important for what for what England need in midfield and yes she was saying that this is a team that she absolutely admires and now she's going to go up against that style of play Uh, what else did you take from from Kira and what she was talking about today Rich to the press I mean you're right in in what you say she she feels like a Spanish player somewhat you could almost see her playing there and I think the main thing I took away is that they are just very relaxed they're very confident without being arrogant you know she was very respectful of Spain, which you have to be, you know, they have some of the best players in Europe, but, you know, it was very much this attitude that Serena has brought in of, it's not about them, it's about us, we do what we do, we concentrate on our job, you know, we'll look at them, of course, but we focus more on what we do, whether that's in the meetings, analysis, on the training pitch, and I feel like Serena has just taken the weight off everybody's shoulders, she's come in, she's won this tournament, she commands that respect, And she's basically said, look, just go with what I say. Let's do what we do. And whatever happens, happens. And I think, you know, Kira was very open and and she was asked about it again today about the last tournament in 2019 at the World Cup. Didn't necessarily enjoy it. She got a lot of criticism. There was a lot of pressure. And it's like a world away from that this time. And look, that doesn't automatically mean England are going to go and win everything and win the tournament. They might do, but they just seem in a better mental space not just her but as a whole team that's Mm. the impression you get every time you speak to a player Uh, Lucy Bronze spoke to me today as well and she reminded me of the fact that the last time she moved club was a major tournament it was a World Cup and she was moving to Lyon (laughs) because I was asking about facing Spain and future teammates but she very easily can compartmentalise that Um, she made that clear that you know she hasn't even met half of them already so it's very easy for her to just switch that off Um, interesting one though as well is Millie Bright and from a tactical point of view Michael she's the sort of player that we know can get on the end of set piece she offers a lot physically and in terms of her presence for, for headers we've seen her score and try some outrageous shots as well from outside the box with some success. I mean, is she going to be used in a different way for this match? Yeah, it could be important at both ends. I thought she was probably England's best player in the first game against Austria with a lot of last-ditch defending. Um, and although Spain aren't a side that crossed the ball a lot naturally, They've scored a lot of headers in this tournament. That's very unlike Spain. <laughs> I know because we are so small, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any change of game plan? No. Well, I think uh, we're always playing as a Spanish t- style. Uh, we are always with possession, and that's what we want, and that's where um, that's what we are comfy with. And of course, we are trying to to cross and headers, but I think everything is not uh, changed. And in terms of winning headers in your own box, it's bright, really, rather than Williamson, who you have to say is is the leader in that respect. So she's always been a good player, Millie Bright, but I think she's evolved so much since England's last couple of tournaments. I mean, at times she was 
maybe seen as a bit clumsy, maybe a bit error prone, but she had a really good season for Chelsea. The first first season I've seen really where I felt like she was Chelsea's defensive leader rather than Eriksen, who had a bit of a stop-start season. And with the, you know, there's been uncertainty about who's going to play alongside her throughout the last couple of weeks. I think that's decided now, but I just think she's she's just very solid, very commanding. And like I said, I think there could be periods where England are, are under a bit of pressure and being dominated, certainly in terms of possession. And yeah, she is England's best penalty box defender by a long way. Mm. Many of you will remember uh, England playing Spain at Euro 2017. Uh, one, I know that you would have been across at the time, Rich, when um, England beat Spain 2-0 despite having only 22% possession during the match. Let's speak about Panos because we know that she has got an error in her when she's under pressure. We saw her after three minutes make that mistake against Germany. And then that was it, really. It was game over. So could it benefit Rich, uh, Ellen White, to to do that high press that we've got used to seeing from her in these group stages? Yeah, I think we'll see it. I think I think it'll be the same 11 as long as everybody's fit, everybody's healthy. Serena doesn't really make too many changes. The only thing you have to be wary of is if you are going to press Spain, you have to get it right because they will start playing around you. And, and as Michael alluded to, you don't want that because they'll tire you out. They'll start passing you around. But I think we will see it. Ellen is so good at that. And as we've seen in this tournament, if that doesn't work, you know, they've got Alessia Russo who will do exactly the same job, fresh as a daisy, you know, with an hour gone or 70 minutes gone, whatever. Um, but yeah, we will because we know Spain want to play out. We know they want to pass the ball out from the back and, if England get their press right, you know, with the pace they've got out wide and, you know, they're going to have chances. But, you know, they still concern me up the other end because we haven't really seen England massively tested defensively. And even Northern Ireland, you know, they got in a couple of times in behind England's fullback. So, you know, Spain will be dangerous. You know, it's going to be an interesting game. And I think I think England are favourites slightly, but you, you cannot rule out a team like Spain. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Trying to solve this possession conundrum, Michael, I was going back through old interviews and um, and re- reminded myself of Karen Carney when she was talking, and I think it was her and Jill Scott, about the last time they played Spain. And Lucy Bronze reminded me today that they did win that match very narrowly, but they were trying to act like crabs. I don't know how technical a term <laughs> that is for you when you're doing your pieces, but crab from side to side could that be the key i don't think i've ever heard that before that is quite interesting so she means they were basically i guess she means they were shuffling sideways trying from to side keep to the side. distance yes yes between them yeah right? yeah 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 don't know it just it just takes me back to playing crab football when i was at cubs did you ever play that it was like <laughs> it was like football but you had to stay on your bum basically um yeah <laughs> Hopefully I don't she, know where you not... went to Cubs, Michael, but I am very intrigued by your uh, crap honestly, football. I, I, I promise you someone someone will know what I'm on about. But as long as England <laughs> don't do not do that, I think they should be all right. Mm, OK. Well, news flash for you, Michael Cox. Producer Abby says she's played football crabs, not at Cubs, she hastens to add, uh, but she knows exactly what you're talking about. Um, all right, well, a few plugs for pieces before we leave you. Great things to read, something to fill the podcast void until we're back with you on Thursday morning, as well as Michael's piece on how England can beat Spain at their own game. A look out for Charlotte Harper's piece on England women and a lack of role models from ethnically diverse backgrounds. Among the people she spoke to for that 
piece is Ikra Ishmael, who is uh, the Somali women's captain. Uh, here's what Ismail had to say on this subject. So many young girl, young women and girls don't want to play football anymore because, you know, you could argue that it's becoming a white middle class sport, which is which is a crazy thing to say to for a sport that when I was growing up, you only needed a ball and, you know, jumpers to put down as a goalpost, essentially. But... Yeah, I think I think that that pathway and that lack of opportunities, the thing that's really hindering seeing a team that would genuinely represent myself and represent those 10, 10 11 year old girls that are watching the game. Well, you can read Charlotte's piece as well as a wealth of other articles on all aspects of Euro twenty twenty two only on the Athletic. And that's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Thank you to Michael and to Rich uh, and to you for listening as well. Uh, Michael, a final plug for your uh, your piece on how we're going to defeat Spain? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that's on the Athletic now. Like I say, focusing on hemp against Batia and as was mentioned, maybe a bit of uh, pressing uh, Panos as well, who does seem to have a bit of a mistake in her. Mm. And which game are you going to be at next, Michael? I am at that one and then I'm at Germany, Austria the next day. So, yeah, looking forward Mm. to both of those. Um, And Rich, am I going to be, I don't know, crossing you on the motorway tomorrow on the way to Brighton? Of course, I'd be overtaking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll be down on match day. You'll be down on match day. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep the seats warm for you down there. They won't need my help, will they? Um, Don't forget as well that you can follow, subscribe to our channel. uh, Make sure that you spread the word about it. Leave a five-star review. We'd love that too. Uh, We're going to be back on Thursday morning now after England versus Spain. (gasps) Uh, Lindsay, one thing to look out for, Lindsay, over the next few days or maybe the next week or so, uh, we discussed yesterday on the show, didn't we, with Jesse Parker Humphreys, about the dance that they'd made up. Jessie was really up for that, yeah. Fantastic Euros song, which we are desperately trying to get in front of a player and which I'm guessing that you failed to do. No, actually, I have forwarded it on to the the whole team pretty much now. Okay, we'll see. We'll We'll see what comes back. We'll watch those record sales climb, shall we, after you've done that. Um, But Jessie's got a dance. Sue reckons she's got a dance or she's got an opera version of it. So uh, this from Sue Smith to me today. This is what she had to say. Kate, how are you? Um, I've just been listening to the Athletic podcast. As always, I always tune in. Um, Get me and Jessie together. Let's do a dance for your song. Absolutely love it. It is so catchy. Uh, I'm just singing it all the time. Absolutely love it. There we go. So the challenge has been set. We need to have the meeting of minds or of feet. Uh, Jessie Parker Humphreys and Sue Smith need to get in the same space soon so we can get that dance routine down. Um, We're going to say goodbye for now. Lindsay, do you want to say goodbye in French because you're so good at it? No, I'm fully behind England in this next match, so I'm just going to say in English, goodbye. (laughs) And I'll say avianto. The Athletic.